probably where he couldn't talk, so maybe we can get that way. But Matthew chapter 16, this is what the Word of God says. It's just for the sake of time because you know the Bible. I don't have to read the whole thing to you. I'm sure here this church knows and you as ministers of the gospel know. But what is the Lord doing today and what is he endeavoring to do and what's he been working on since 1987 in the church? So there was a divine visitation where Jesus Christ appeared to Kenneth E. Hagin on, on uh, July the 16th, 1987. And out of that came a book called Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits. Ever since then, the Lord's been trying to institute that move in the church, but it has been aborted. In fact, the last time it was aborted was in 2006. But now the church is up and we're going to run again and we're going to accomplish God's will. But there's been much opposition, but at the same time he appeared to him. He talked to him about the ministerial gifts and about how he wanted to restore the five-fold ministry gifts back to the church. And then, of course, from that came another book, He Gave Gifts Unto Men, if you remember that. And he talked about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, and those called to the ministry of helps. So what the Lord is doing today is he's building his church, and here's our chapter and verse for it in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 19. And he says, and I will give unto thee the keys, verse number 18, he says, I will say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and the rock being the revelation of who Jesus Christ was, who was Jesus Christ? He was the son of the living God. And so um, the rock being the revelation of who Jesus was, he said, I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven in verse number 19. And he said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But prior to telling them that, verse number 18, he said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, and again being the revelation of who Jesus Christ was, he was the son of God and he was the Christ. He was the Messiah because that's what Peter told him. And he said, I will build my church and what will happen? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we should always have a positive message, right? And we should always be on the positive side. But at the same time, if you don't watch it, you can get so far over there and get out of balance. You know, Dad Hagen, Dr. Hagen, I call him Dad Hagen just simply as a term of endearment. If I step down here, am I going to blow up anything in the sound department? <clears throat> but, but, uh, no, I'll be fine. But uh, he taught us about balance, about being in balance. And we don't want to get out of balance on any Bible subject. Because any Bible subject taken to the extreme becomes doctrinal error. And we don't want to get into error. We want to stay in the middle of the road when it comes to these things and the Lord building the church. And so if you all the way, all the time talking about the devil and what he's doing and, and how he's coming against this and coming against that, then you'll just have a negative attitude all the time and you'll think that you're going under and there's no hope for you and there's no help for you. Well, it's not true that the devil's going to take over us and take over the church because he's not. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. And so if he's coming back for a glorious church, then undoubtedly, because I'm part of the church, I'm going to be glorious. And so I should believe that I'm going to be glorious and the church is going to be glorious and I'm going to walk in the power and the anointing of God and there's no devil that's going to stop me. But if you get on this idea that the devil doesn't exist, then he's got you right where he wants you because the devil does exist. Jesus said, I will build my church. Isn't that right? 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It didn't say that they wouldn't try, isn't that right? It wouldn't say that they wouldn't come against you, but they will not prevail against you. And so what Jesus is doing today in the church, he is building his church. And in this building process, there's a renovation that's right now going on. And what you see happening in the world is only a type and shadow of what's going on in the realm of the spirit. Because everything in the physical material world is influenced and affected by the spiritual realm. And of course you could get kooky with that, but we'll stay balanced, isn't that right? But uh, at the same time, the enemy is stirring up things to do what? To hinder the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, from going forth to the nations of this earth. That's the whole plot. That's the whole plan. I mean, there's no hidden agenda when it comes to God. God knows what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to shut down the gospel going forth. Why? Because he knows that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to every human being on this planet. So the enemy or the gates of hell have tried to come against the church even in recent times. And there's been many that have been under great opposition because of these demonic powers. But I've got news for you and I've got news for me. We're not going under. We're going over. We're the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath and the enemy is under our feet. So if the Lord said, I'm building my church What is he building? There is a pattern. There is a design. God does nothing by chance. Everything that God does, there is a pattern. There is an architectural spiritual design that God has for the church today. And I believe that part of my assignment in this meeting this morning is to pray about that plan and pray about that architectural design. When Moses had the tabernacle built, he'd done it after what? The pattern he saw in heaven. He didn't just come up with his plan. He didn't just come up with his idea and decide, well, I'm going to build the tabernacle to worship God in and I'm going to put this chair here and I'm going to put this pole here. I'm going to put this piece of furniture here. I'm going to put this particular altar here. No, he found out from God what God wanted to do and then he implemented that. There was an architectural design, right? There was an architectural plan. When David had Solomon to build the temple, he turned the building of the temple over to Solomon, his son, because God said, you're not going to build it. But what did he turn over to him? He turned over to him to architectural design. David got the pattern, he got the plan, he got the architectural design from our father God. And then he passed it on to Solomon And when Solomon built the temple according to the architectural design of heaven, then the glory filled the temple and they could not stand. What God is endeavoring to do today is build the church and the church is not a physical building. It's not metal, it's not concrete, it's not bricks and mortar, but it's the church, the body of Christ. He's endeavoring to build the church and bring it to a place that he can fill us with his glory to the point that we cannot stand. You know, it hadn't been real long ago. It might have been in this church where I had one of those, what do you call it, mini visions, you know? M-I-N-I, you know, Brother Hagin used to say, and I saw into the future and I saw a congregation and I saw myself in this meeting. Don't know where it's at. Might it be in kangaroo country? Don't know. 
but I saw, and I saw the glory cloud come in, and it was about one foot off the floor, then it came up about two foot, then about three foot, and then the whole audience disappeared, and then when it got to lifted to where I could see, every person in the audience was on their face on the floor, weeping and praising God, not in sadness, but in joy. There is a move of God that God is bringing back to the church. And we are entering into that phase now. And that's why there's been great opposition, much opposition, because the devil don't want us to move in. But guess what? We're going anyway. So the Lord is doing something today in the church. What is the church in the world for? The church is in the world to change the culture of the world. How? To get them born again. Then you change the culture. But what's happening is uh, over time is the culture of the world has begun to form and change uh, the direction of the church. Even our beliefs in the church because of the culture of the world system and the pressure from the world system, we've changed the culture of the church to adapt to the culture of the world. But now there's a change turning around and God is raising up a church that's going to affect and influence the culture of society around us. And many millions will be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, delivered from demon powers and set free by the power of God. So the church is in the world to change the culture of society. We should not have laws in this land that say that there's such thing as same-sex marriage. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be things. There shouldn't be a law in this land that says it's legal to have abortion. You know what I mean? There shouldn't be laws. Why are these things here? Because the culture of the world has influenced the church to the church to the point to become adaptive. You would adapt it because we we don't want to hurt anybody, harm anybody, offend anybody. I don't want to offend anybody either. But I'm not going to violate God's word or the principles of God's word to please the devil or anybody else. We're going to change society. People want to move of God. I just came out of, out of New York. I just came in Owego, New York. I, can any good thing come from Owego, New York? When I went, I didn't know what I was going to get into. I didn't know what I was going to face. What we do is we go in and we rent to hotel ballrooms because the Lord told us to do that, you know. Some of you have been in our meetings. But uh, we went there and we didn't know if anybody was going to show up. We didn't know if anybody was going to be there. But we just went. And we started putting out chairs, and the chairs started keeping going out, going out, going out, going out. And what we found ourselves in is we found ourselves in the middle of what we call in the country, an old-time Pentecost, an old-fashioned revival. Praise the Lord. Because many of the people were traditional type, uh, you know, good, wonderful people, you know what I mean? But just traditional type people that didn't know very much about the Word of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, didn't know about, you know, faith and trusting God and things like that. And so the Lord just began to break loose in there. And then one night, I don't know if Miss Patsy knows him out, Pastor Jay Jarriman, you know, the Indian guy from up there. It was the last church that Dad Hagen ministered in, him, him, in Canada, London. Well, he came down. He's a friend of mine, and he came down, and uh, the Lord just impressed me, which if you've been in our meetings, I've never, ever, rarely ever do anything like that because the Lord told me to do a certain thing, you know, and we're just following that agenda. 
But he said, just call on him and let him share here a few minutes, you know. And, and he got up and began to share. And all of a sudden, those uh, Methodists and Presbyterians that became, uh, you know, Pentecostal. I mean, brother, I mean, we got people filled with the Holy Ghost. People were dancing and shouting and a running and a jumping. And guess what? None of them got offended. <laughs> Somebody said, don't let the Holy Ghost go. I, act, I believe this. We shouldn't act like a nut. You know what I mean? I like what Dad Hagen used to say. He said, if you'll just act like you got good sense. You'll fool most folks. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I do my best to act like I got good sense whether I do or not. But the Holy Ghost began to move. What happened? It began to change. The Holy Ghost began to change the culture of that region. People would come to the door because my wife and I would stand there, shake their hands, and thank them for coming to our meetings because we don't know who's coming, you know. And some of them would be weeping and crying. Said, we haven't seen a move like this or even heard of a move like this. Since this particular, and they would talk about great ministers has gone on times of old. I mean, it's not even in my era that would come through that area. Some of the older ones. See, we hadn't seen, since this is so thirsty, so dry. Said, nobody comes up here anymore. None of the ministries come up here anymore. I said, so he said to me, what did you come up here for? I said, I'm out of my mind. I lost my mind. <laughs> and now I got the mind of Christ. But God began to move. What happened is because that God wanted those people to experience God in a different way and go back and change the culture of their society. And that's what God is doing today. So if the Lord is, is doing that and the Lord is building his church, then that means the devil is not going to win. And so we stay on the positive side. But again... You can get on the side and act like he doesn't uh, exist and then you get in trouble because the devil does exist. And if you haven't encountered any opposition from Satan, you may be going the same way he is. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, you know, and the enemy has done things, but again, we're not here to glorify the devil. But at the same time, we point it out. But you're in good company. If you're encountered opposition, you're going to overcome Remember when Jesus was baptized by the Holy Ghost in the River Jordan and he began to walk and he was in the perfect will of God. I said the perfect will of God. I said the perfect will. Don't make me come back there. I said he was in the perfect will of God. Why? Because he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to confront Satan. Now a lot of people think that what was happening is God was sicking the devil on Jesus like you'd sick a hound dog on a rabbit. But that's not what was happening. What God was doing, he was sicking Jesus on the devil. Go get him. Why? Because this was the son of the living God, anointed with God's power. The first Adam failed, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he was going to supersede and overcome every failure that Adam had committed in the garden. So he went out to confront the devil. So he was in the perfect will of God and he overcame the devil and so will you and so will I. Amen. So don't quit and don't give up and don't give in. If you've been facing opposition, just face life with a grin 
Because Jesus Christ, he's your friend. And he will cause you to arise and walk with him day by day. For you see, we're living in a brand new time and it requires brand new ways. And because you walk in these brand new ways, you're going to see brand new days. And you're going to see his glory and his power come upon you in this hour. And you're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. And you're going to mount up with wings as eagles in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I think I'm just going to do it. Woo! I think I'm going to mount up with wings as eagles and I'm going to run and not be weary because Jesus Christ has strengthened me. So he's on our side. Then you have the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He was in the perfect will of God, wasn't he? But because of the abundance of revelations, he's in the perfect will of God. There was opposition. It says the messenger of Satan had come against him. That was given him a thorn in the flesh, which was the messenger of Satan. Now let's stop and analyze that. Who who gave him the thorn in the flesh? Somebody said, I know it was the Lord. It was God. No, it was the devil. The devil's the one that gave him this messenger from Satan. It wasn't God. Because he went to God. And he said, oh, Lord, help. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Lord, I don't know if I can have. Oh, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Lord, you said come boldly to the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Help, Lord. It's okay to holler help every now and then. You Help, Lord. It shows your dependency upon him so his power can flow through you. You know what I mean? And that's what I discovered. When I'm weak, then I found myself being strong because that's what he told Paul. He said, Paul, my grace, my ability, my anointing is sufficient for you. He says, in your weaknesses, he said, I will be made strong. Paul started glorifying his infirmities. (laughs) He said, the power of Christ Rest upon me. I'm here to tell you, if you're in Christ, his power and his glory will rest upon you and you will not fail. But if you've been encountering oppositions, and I know people have, especially in the ministry, but encountering opposition. And these things, and it's happening all over. I talked to my friend, Pastor Jay, up there from Canada when he came to my meeting. And we converse and talk. Great opposition, but he just it was encouraged. When he left the meeting there in Owego, New York, he was dancing <laughs> He was dancing and shouting, hallelujah. Well, I'm here to tell you, the Lord is building his church. He's on our side. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So how is he building the church? What does he he want to put in the church? What does he want to put in the church is this. First of all, he wants to establish the gifts, the ministry gifts in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He wants to establish those gifts in his church. When I'm not, I'm not talking about in a half measure or just a few of them. I'm talking about every one, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And also, he wants to establish a ministry of helps, which is a ministry gifts. It's an anointed office. I have stood in that office, and I have been in the ministry of helps, and I was anointed to function in that office It is not a low-level ministry. It's one of the highest honors you could ever have. And it's where everybody gets started with God. And God proves you and moves you on from that place. 
So we need that. So he wants to establish back, and that's what we need to pray for. We need to pray for the five-fold ministry gifts. Then we need to pray for the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The nine ministry gifts there. We need to pray for these gifts to be in operation, manifestation, and demonstration. Because the gifts are not in operation as the Lord desires. There are sprinkling of them here. We hear sprinkling of them there. But the Lord wants to bring them to constant manifestation so that we can take these gifts and go reach this lost and dying world. We're keeping it on that level, remember? To reach the lost. And that's what the Lord wants to do. And then the third thing that the Lord is doing today and building his church is he is restoring the true doctrines back to the church because there are some doctrinal issues. I mean, I hate to have to say it, but it's the truth. There are some doctrinal issues that are going on in the church that is not correct and it's leading people astray and God is going to have to bring balance to this. So we need to pray that the ministers of the gospel would come forth and preach and teach the truth. Dad Hagen taught us this. How in the world do you deal with false doctrine? You preach the truth. You don't attack people. You know what I mean? I don't attack anybody. I'm going to come against any person. But you preach the truth in love and you speak the truth in love. But we must have voices that will come to the forefront that will not cow down, so to speak, and cower down and not tell the truth and not speak the truth in love because the pressure of the culture of society, even in the church, is against that. Don't tell the truth. You might offend somebody. Again, we're not for offending anybody, right? Right. We're for helping anybody we can. But we must have uh, the word of the living God uh, that's going to put us over in every single area of our life and true biblical doctrines uh, there. The fourth thing that God is establishing in the church, the fourth thing that God is establishing, and this is probably should be number one. You know what I mean? But this is what the Lord is doing. The Lord is establishing his people back to his character. The character of God is more important in my life than any gift, sign, miracle, or wonder. Because with the character of God in my life and the fruit of the Spirit manifested through my life, it closes the door to every enemy, every devil, and the devil has no inroad into my life. I'm not saying that he wouldn't try to come, but he can't get in. Why? The character of God is more important than anything else. Since about 1959, the Lord has been endeavoring to, to restore character back in the church. I'm not saying that people don't have character. You understand But remember this, Dr. Hagen would tell us the stories about what he called the voice of healing days. And if you go back and you look, it was the era of the miraculous, and we're still in it, by the way, the era of the miraculous. But most of the ministers there at that time died, and I know this is not a popular subject, but they died prematurely. And it wasn't because they didn't have the power. It wasn't because they didn't have the anointing. It's because they didn't have character. And many did not judge themselves. And everybody's getting quiet now. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were shouting a little bit earlier. And, and, and of course, it wasn't God that done anything to them. You understand that? And I'm not saying that anybody went to hell. Don't take that. Don't take that. what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. 
But what I'm saying is many of their ministries stopped prematurely and it could have been a further move and probably Mike could still have been in part of it today or at least a, a greater flow. And so what he's been endeavoring to do, the Lord, is get the character of God in our life. In fact, you know, the character of God is, it's been a, a quest of mine for many years. You know, my career path in times past, you know what I mean? My prior career, prior to, you know, B.C., before Christ, it wasn't too good. And so I've had a lot of things to overcome, but God has graced me to be able to do that. And I appreciate that very much. And I thank God for it. And it's only by His grace and by His mercy that I accomplish this. And I know that we're not saved by works. But until you get your works lined up with your confession, things are not going to work right. It, it's got to kind of walk in line together, you know. And we thank God for His mercy. We thank God for His grace. But uh, how in the world could I develop God's character in my life? Well, I, I just think this, just from my own personal experience, just taking Colossians chapter 3 and reading that and making that and just walking that out in my life, boy, that'd be sure enough good. And then you get over into Ephesians chapter 4, the latter part of 4 to Ephesians chapter 5, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and start meditating on these scriptures and read them out till it tells you what to, you know, in Colossians and Ephesians and all, it tells you what to put off, but it also tells you what to put on. There's no condemnation. And, and that has been lost. That particular part of the message of the gospel has been lost today because I say lost, not as a whole in the entire body of Christ, but in a lot of areas, you know, it's unpopular to preach to people and tell them this is what the Word of God says that you must do, not just what you believe. Yes, we are to believe something so we can do something. You know what I mean? We believe we receive, we believe we are, therefore I do, right? Because Paul taught that, and, and the Word of God teaches that. Then the Ephesians prayers, you know, in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3, if you just make those Ephesians prayers, just constantly renew yourself in that area. And I find myself, in fact, in recent times, the Lord stirred me up about it, you know. You know how we'll get going, you know, and we get to rolling along pretty good, and all of a sudden we find ourselves, well, I'm not doing what I know I should do. But the Lord kind of reminded me in recent times, he said, get back to praying those Ephesians prayers. And there's other prayers in the New Testament and putting yourself in it, not just selfish, pray them for other people too, you know. And so that brings me to this point in the church. The, what, is, what point are we on now? Five. Where'd y'all get all these points at? <laughs> six. Reverend Caminetti said she's got six. Y'all missed something. Boy, she's got something in the Holy Ghost here. <laughs> She picked it up by the Spirit. So the, the, the sixth thing, and this again should be the top, and this is not in numerical, chronological order. I'm not saying that. But the sixth thing is this, and it should be probably, I said the other should be number one, this probably should be number one. He's restoring the art of prayer back to the church. You know, it was in our meeting, I think it was... Uh, I think it was in Branson, and the Lord said something to me that I had never really saw. It became a revelation. He said, the body of Christ, this has been, what, a couple of years ago maybe? The Lord said the body of Christ has been living today primarily off prayers of saints in the past. 
Now, I'm not saying saints are not praying today. We've got a lot of good pay, praying people, you know. We've got Reverend Patsy Caminari, Reverend Jermaine Copeland here. I mean, they're going to slap us around and tell us we're going to do it, and we are. And they'll pray for us and pray with us. But we can't, in this generation, continue to live off the past prayers of the saints. We've got to have our own prayers and our own prayer life. And that's why we have an Atlanta prayer conference to stir ourselves up to pray. Prayer is the key and the vehicle to everything that God has. We pray it out and we walk it out. We pray it out and we walk it out. So the Lord is building His church and He's reestablishing prayer back to the church, back to the ministry offices, back to the saints and the chairs or the pews. We used to call them pews, you know, or the benches. But God is restoring that back to the church and all of these things, I believe the Lord has had me over time and even in our meetings, we pray about these things, you know, publicly. We get the audience to join in. We don't take a real long time, but because, you know, we just kind of go encourage people though to get in that flow. Pray about these things. Think about these things. Why? Because I believe, and I certainly don't know it all, and I'm not saying this is all the Lord's doing, but I know that He's doing this today, and we must have these things restored, what? Back to the church. And I'm not saying in a measure they're not there. But in the greater measure, they're not there. I mean, you just don't have to be very spiritual to look around and say things are not going in the direction they should be going. And, but through prayer, things are going to turn around and things are going to change and we are going on in God in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not going to fail. So I have talked about this morning, the Lord is building His church. And again, I'm just talking, you know, talking about the Lord building His church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's been opposition that has come, but the opposition will not win and will overcome everything. The grace of the Lord is sufficient and the church will arise and walk in the victory that God has for us and nothing is going to stop the church. And I believe this, if we'll just stop right here, because I mean we got time, you know, we got the clock back here and we got to go by the clock, right? Sometimes, but anyway. And so what I would like for us to do is just take a few minutes and pray about some of these things. Let's take about five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes. You know, there's enough of us here putting all our faith and prayer together. Let's stand to our feet and let's begin to pray. Father, in the name of the Lord.